when an old orphanage is repurposed as a community center, you're going to expect a little bit of ghost activity, right? All those poor children, right? You're going to be haunting something. But no one could expect the terror that awaited inside the closet. And then we meet a little boy who is hiding from his father. I'm sorry this episode is so depressing. <laughs> we meet a little boy who's hiding from his father as he wants to whip him with a belt. But while he's hiding from the fury of his father, something even darker finds him. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys had a great weekend. We got a lot of stuff to cover, so first off, walking on into Dead Rabbit Command, everyone give a round of applause for our newest Patreon supporter. Get on your feet and give it up for Tim Duke. Woohoo! Yeah, wee! Yeah, he's all walking on in, bringing us birthday cakes. Yeah! Birthday cakes! Birthday cakes! He's bringing it someone's birthday. I'm sure one of you guys, it's your birthday today. Uh, Tim Duke is bringing us birthday cakes. Tim, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, that's fine. It really is just help spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. You have no idea how much that helps out. Tell your friends, tell your family, talk about it online. There's a lot of opportunities that I see people asking, what's your favorite podcast? What's your favorite YouTube channel? And they're posting this stuff online. And I need you guys to get out the word for Dead Rabbit Radio. I've seen a lot of you guys message me about voting in the Paranormality Podcast of the Month Award. And I really, really appreciate that. That's another way you can help out. But I always appreciate good old Tim Duke. I throw my hand around his shoulders on dropping the cakes. He's like, what, man? I spent all day making those. Ah, forget him. We don't need no cakes. Tim, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the hair hang glider. Everyone grab on to his belt. And Tim, I want you to jump off the highest point of Dead Rabbit Command. Glide us all the way out to Kansas. Specifically, we're headed out to Kansas City. And I hope you guys brought bland clothes and even blander food. Because we're going back in time. We're going back in time to the late. 1800s, so we're all in pilgrim clothes, we're flying around on this hang glider, Wee! And below us, we see this man named John Scroggs, and he's like sitting in a rocking chair, it's like the height of technology, he's like, ha I'm so rich, I invented a chair that doesn't sit still, actually he didn't invent the rocking chair, but I'm sure he has one. John Scroggs, he's an accomplished attorney in the area and he's recently married this woman named Margaret. She had five kids from a previous marriage, but her husband, James Cruz, he died at the age of 34. So she's like, oh, I probably shouldn't have had all these kids with the man who was going to die. <laughs> I should have had him with Methuselah, who lived to be a thousand. But instead, I had him with a mortal man. Had five kids. My husband died. So anyways, John Scroggs was like, come here, kids. Come here, Margaret. I will take care of all of you. I'm an accomplished attorney. <laughs> He's a braggart as well. Check out my rocking chair, guys. Kids are like, wow. Margaret and the five kids and the now deceased husband lived in a small house. And John was like, ah, this is all insulting. It is kicking the house. He's like, what? You guys lived in this dump? This house sucks. I'm going to tear it down and build a mansion for all of us. The kids are like, wait, we're still in it. We're still having nap time. <sighs> He's bashing through the walls. 
Eventually, they do destroy this house, and they build... Some of you architecture dudes out there will know what this is. A Queen Anne-style mansion. So those words mean nothing to me. I'm sure a couple of you guys were like, Wow, what? In late 1800s, Kansas? Queen, Queen Anne style? Amazing! I just imagine it, a fancy house, a rocking chair for each room. So now they're all living in this Queen Anne style mansion. This is in 1887. They have this house. John ends up dying. He's, he is, he's also a mortal man. He also succumbs to the temperament of time. He dies in 1899. His wife outlives him by another 16 years. She dies later. And eventually the house becomes... St. John's Orphanage. But technically, that's pretty good because their kids are orphans at this point. The kids are like, ah, I don't have to move any of my stuff. This is perfect. I already have my room picked out. They become St. John's Orphanage. And you start bringing kids in from all over the area. What happened this, in, this, in this time period, it became an orphanage in 1919. This was after you had a big wave of influenza. Good old influenza killed millions of people. A lot of orphans. It was a boom time for orphanages. If you were an orphan magnate, if that's what you like to do, you like to bet on the orphan market, you would have made out like gangbusters. You would have had orphans coming out of your pockets. So this orphanage, it's run by a bunch of nuns. And remember, this is a Queen Anne-style mansion. Whatever that means, it's fancy, right? Like you have orphans. It's not like some Annie orphanage, like in like the the slums of New York. Kids are, like, sliding down banisters. Well, I guess they did that in Annie, too. But, you know, you would have, like, gilded bathtubs, rocking chairs. You'd have all sorts of stuff. But, you know, you bet big on the orphan markets. It pays off. But eventually, you know, you don't need as many orphanages. I, I Actually, I would be interested to know how many orphanages there are in America. <laughs> Sounds like it would be very depressing, very depressing research. But I'm sure I will guess there are less than there used to be. That's my hypothesis. There's less orphanages. <laughs> yes, Jason, there are less orphanages today in the modern world where we have all this life-saving medicine. Yes, than there was in 1919 when influenza ravaged the world and people were getting slaughtered in trenches. Yeah, Jason, that's a good call. The orphanages shut down. Nowadays... It is the Strawberry Hill Museum. The Strawberry Hill Museum. And because it's a, such a beautiful landmark, people are like, whoa, did you see the Queen Anne style? Wow, I thought that was a King Andrew style. No, no, that's easily Queen Anne. People are walking down the street talking about it. It's a beautiful building. They've turned it into a ethnic cultural study center. So you go in and you can learn about, like, all the people who lived in Kansas. <laughs> it's just orphans. It's just a bunch of pictures of sad kids. You're like, oh, this little orphan came from Armenia after his family was brutally slaughtered. You're like, oh, man, this isn't, <laughs> this isn't how I wanted to spend my afternoon. They're like, come on, let's go into the weeping orphanage section. We have recordings. You can hear them cry for real. They have an ethnic cultural center. You can go in and learn the history of the area. The history of the people who settled in Kansas City and founded it and all that stuff. You can look it up on Wikipedia, too. This place also has tea parties, though. So you can go. It's like you see, I went to their website and they have a bunch of like, come drink tea with us as we, as we hear the wailing of children in the next room. 
bunch of tea parties, ethnic cultural studies, like probably a Zumba class. You know, you know, it's just like a community center. But it's haunted. That's where we're going with this whole thing. It's haunted. The reason why I wanted to profile this, because, you know, I do ghost research all the time. And what makes this haunting unique? First let's first let's talk about the normal hauntings. This is stuff that we see in a lot of places. Apparently, there's stuff like strange smells, that you smell the smell of baby powder, which I mean in the in the long list of smells isn't that bad. Electrical issues, lights flickering, footsteps, mysterious footsteps from somewhere in the house, music, you'll hear strange singing coming from somewhere. La di da di da. You can't figure out what you're like, what? Who said that, huh? Huh? Stuff like that. Very basic paranormal stuff. But the reason why I wanted to profile this is because I love the ghost stories that are just so weird. Right? I mean, yeah, if you were living in a haunted house and all it was was footsteps and, and singing, singing from beyond the grave, music coming from the ether, it would be the most exciting thing that's happening to you. I get that. It sounds like I'm so jaded a lot of the times. So I'm like, what? Phantom footsteps. Proof of life after death. Boring. I like to find, because I read that stuff all the time, right? I want to find the more abstract hauntings, and this is one of them. This is weird. I was actually able to find two different sources telling this story. The only difference between the two was the setup. One said it was a tourist looking around the house, and the other one was a caterer. But we're just going to go with the caterer version. Everything else is exactly the same. Apparently, this caterer was working for an event, and she's like, has a plate of hors d'oeuvres. What are they called again? They're called hors d'oeuvres. Hors d'oeuvres. She's walking around with a plate of hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> the thing doesn't start for another three hours. She's like, oh, I'm just practicing. They're like, Sally, that stuff's going to go bad. That's like egg salad and little um, toothpicks and stuff. Don't go put that away. She's like, oh, man, I'm just trying to practice. Sally's walking around the Strawberry Hill Museum. They're going to do a catering event because they do all this tea party garbage, right? And she ends up walking around up to the third floor. She's like, man, no one ever appreciates me. I wish I was an orphan. I wish I was an orphan in 1920. Then I'd have so many friends. Sally, that's not a real name, but Sally's walking around the Strawberry Hill Museum. She's just kind of going through the exhibits, I guess. But she goes to an area she's not supposed to. Now, some people say maybe she was snooping. Some people say maybe that she 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 knew she wasn't supposed to be up there. But it's possible that she was looking for something. It's possible that she wanted to see what she wasn't supposed to see. We don't know. Sally's up on the third floor, which is interesting because both stories have that same setup. So you wonder, is there a part of the house where they don't want people to go? Obviously, there probably is. But why this area? Uh, Sally, she goes upstairs and she's snooping. Really, you're snooping at that point. She opens up a closet and in the back of the closet, she sees a man sitting there. Like almost sitting there with his knees up to his chest. He's sitting there huddled in the back of this closet. And when she opens the door, he looks at her and starts to... It's it's going to be hard to explain on an audio podcast, but basically, here, I'll, I'll do it. He starts waving his hands in front of his face and going, No! No! But... He was making no noise. 
which makes it, I mean, pick your poison, which one's creepier, right? The image of a man you don't expect, you're up in a corner of a room, ghost or not, ghost or not, if you open a closet, and you look, and she thinks this is a man, we'll learn shortly, it's a ghost, and also I kind of gave it away in the beginning, but she opens the door and she sees a man sitting there, kind of like huddled up, and he looks and he starts waving his hands in front of his face, and his mouth is making the word, no, but no noise is coming out. And he's moving his hands in front of his face. Which to me is creepier. The absence of the audio it makes it more abstract. It's weird. It, it just it's it's a different image. It's a different image. But that's not the end of the story. She sees this guy, he's waving his hands in front of his face, like he's saying, no. And then he reaches out to grab her. She turned, like she barely evades his first grasp. She turns and she starts running out of the room. He's right behind her. This man is right behind her and begins tapping her on the shoulder. She's running through the third story of this house. And the whole time she can sense this man is literally like right behind her and she can feel this tapping on her shoulder. She said it was like just this ice cold touch. And when she came to the staircase and she began running down the stairs, he was still right behind her. There was no, she wasn't hearing the footsteps, but she knew it. She could sense him and she kept feeling this tap, 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 tap right on her shoulder. And then right when she got to the bottom of the stairs, it completely stopped. So remember this place is a museum. She is, oh, she comes running down the stairs, dripping sweat. A little part of her shoulder is a little cold, but other than that, she's totally freaking out. Everyone's like, dude, what? Are you okay? Are you okay? After she finally calms down, she tells them what happened. I was upstairs look, looking, for, looking for supplies. Her eyes go from side to side. And I went in the closet and I saw this guy and, and she told them that story. Now, obviously, like, people are going to believe her. People aren't going to believe her. But this place is also a museum and it has all of these photographs and all of these paintings because it's telling the history of Kansas City. It's telling the history of the area. And the caterer sees a portrait of the man she saw in the closet. Oddly enough, this is so weird. It is such a bizarre abstract ghost story. It's not the ghost of John Scroggs. It's the ghost of Margaret's first husband. James Cruz. Remember, he died when this house didn't even exist. There was that smaller house built on that plot of land. He died. His wife remarries. The house is demolished. This mansion's built up. You have another man die there. It's actually his home, John Scroggs. It's not his ghost. It's the ghost of James Cruz. In this closet on the third story, which again wouldn't have even existed, their house, the original house wasn't three stories. Why was he up there? Why was he shouting or really mimicking, no? Why was he chasing her? Fascinating ghost story. Bizarre imagery. Bizarre imagery of this mimicking 
go and again like why was he saying like what was the emphasis behind? was he saying no because he was found out was there something else he was interacting with was there something he was hiding from in that house there's just so many questions so if you <laughs> if you live in the strawberry hill area if you live in kansas city you want to do some on the ground research get your tea cozies ready Bring your own pots and pans or whatever you do to have a stupid tea party and infiltrate. This is homework for you. This is homework for you. Infiltrate the Strawberry Hill Museum. Get to the truth. Say, third floor, third floor. You're walking through. They're all giving a cultural study. They're like, this is what the original inhabitants. You're like, third floor, third floor. You, you and your posse show up. You're banging on the windows, knocking over all the tea. Like, we don't need this stuff. Show us the third floor, lady. And they're like, ah. And then once they all leave and the police show up and they surround the place, one of you guys do the negotiations. One of you guys keep them busy being like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll come out. While the rest of you <laughs> go up to the third floor, and just start opening closets. Listen, the worst thing that can happen is you're going to do five years in a federal prison for terrorism and harassing old women while they're drinking tea. That's a statute. You can't do that in Kansas City. But at the most... I guess, I guess there's no way you're not going to jail in that scenario. But when you're in jail and they're like, what are you in for? And you go, ghost hunting. And they'll be like, oh, dude, you're the new leader of our gang. <laughs> and so, you know, it'll, that'll work out too. You'll have a new career path as a prison gang leader. Tim Duke, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the carpenter copter. We are leaving behind this museum. We're saying goodbye to all of our friends who are now doing hard time in Leavenworth. But it was worth it. It was truly worth it. Because you found out that one ghost story was real. Tim Duke, fly us out of here. We're going to head all the way out to... A little boy's house. We don't know exactly where the story takes place. Or really when the story takes place. This is one of these accounts posted online. It was posted by someone. We're going to call him Bruce. We don't have his real name. He said this all started around the ages of 10 to 12. He's not too sure, but around there. One day he's running through his house on a mission. He needs to hide and he needs to hide fast because his dad is walking around with a belt. He's ready to whoop this boy. So Bruce runs into his bedroom Probably not the best hiding spot, right? It's probably going to be the first place your dad checks. He's like, oh, where might my son be? Where does he spend most of his time? Bruce runs into his bedroom and crawls under his bed. Now, you guys know I have such a great track record with this. Let me describe the, <laughs> let me describe the layout of the bedroom for you. It's vitally important to this story. He said, my bedroom had two beds in it. And they were pressed together. They were like touching. So I don't know if the beds, I like, I can picture that in my head, but I don't know if they're, I imagine they're touching like, <laughs> Jason, we quit going. This is where you always get tripped up. We're fine. We can picture it. I think it's like if you had them along the long wall, that's the technical term. You have a long wall in a room and then you have the short wall. <laughs> Like, now I'm super confused, Jason. Where do they live? In a hallway? You have a long wall, and I imagine there's one bed against the wall, head to foot, 
And then the next bed is pressed up against the foot part of it, going to the head of the short wall. Can you guys picture? <laughs> Can you guys picture that? Imagine if I just had two sheets of paper and I put the eight and a half pieces, so those pieces are touching. Because the other thing you could think is not bunk beds. The other thing you can think of is the beds are both long ways connected, but I don't think that's what it is. I think the beds are touching foot to foot and the heads are in opposite directions. Anyways, I don't know how much it has to do with the story, but I want you to be able to picture it. So this little boy, Bruce, he shimmies under his bed. And he's he's laying there. He's trying to hide from his dad. And he's staring directly into the underneath of the second bed. Like they're facing each other. He can't but look into the darkness underneath the other bed. I'm assuming, you know, like his brother's bed or something like that. Maybe sister's. I don't know. And he said, I'm, I'm underneath my bed. And I'm staring into the darkness. For, really, he goes, I don't know how long, 10 to 20 minutes, which is a pretty big spread. And I start to see something underneath, I'm just going to say brothers. I start to see something underneath my brother's bed. It's moving. I can, I can see something moving under his bed. And the longer I stare, the more I see, the more detail I'm seeing. What I see is the top of somebody's head. And then I begin to make out the shoulders of what it looks to be an adult stuck underneath my brother's bed. And it's wiggling. It's writhing, trying to get free. I'm a little kid, I can fit here, but this is the figure of an adult furiously trying to wedge itself out from underneath my brother's bed. And I'm continuing to look at this. I'm horrified at this point, but I can't look away. I can even make out the detail of his hair. I can see the hair, the individual, no, maybe not the individual hairs. He's not Superman, but, you know, he can see that he has a haircut. You can see that he has hair, and he goes, I can make out that the, he doesn't really specify the color of the hair, but he goes, the skin was pitch black. The skin was darker than the darkness of the bed, and it's wiggling underneath the bed, and it's moving more and more. It's furiously trying to get out, and then it looks up at me. Now we're both facing each other underneath our own beds here, our respective beds. This figure looks up and begins gnashing its teeth in fury, in anger, because it can't get out from underneath this bed. And the teeth were pure white. They were snapping. They were gnashing. You could see the anger in this thing trying to get loose, but when it began to snap its teeth in the darkness, Bruce realized, Bruce realized it's time to get out of here. Bruce goes, okay, I'm going to get belted by my dad. That's not fun. 
But I'm pretty sure my dad won't bite me. I'm pretty sure my dad won't devour my soul. Take me to the underworld. You can either choose to, to stay under here with whatever that is or get whooped. So he sighed heavily and got up from underneath the bed. He's like, okay, this is going to happen. Eventually, he, I, I, they don't, he doesn't say whether or not his dad got him with the belt, spanked him with the belt, but I'm sure that happened. But he did say, I talked to my mom. I go, mom, mom, there's a monster underneath the bed. Not my bed. You know, the bed that the foot frame is touching. Mom's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know how your beds are laid out. I go there all the time. He goes, yeah, there's a monster under there with these white gnashing teeth and its body is pure black and it's trying to get me. Actually, I think it was just trying to get out from underneath the bed and maybe get all of us. And the mom's like, I, <laughs> the mom's like, I don't believe you. Monsters aren't real. Go, go to your room. Go to your room for lying about monsters in your room. Actually, go underneath your bed. That's your new punishment. What? 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 What's this? He said that his mom didn't believe him. I don't think he brought it up with his dad. He did say he goes, it took him several days to work up the courage to look back underneath his brother's bed. It would have taken me several days just to get back into my bed. I'd be like, I'm sleeping on the couch. My dad's whipping me with the belt as I'm sleeping on the couch. I'm like, still better. This is still better than demon teeth getting my throat in the middle of the night. He goes, a couple days later, I worked up the courage to go look under the bed and there was nothing there. This was posted online by someone going by the name Samir IG9. Samir IG9. He posted it as uh, he called the post something under the bed, but he tagged it as Jin. He tagged it as Jin. So we're talking about a demon or we we the Jin are one of those weird classifications. We don't really know how they fit into the whole pantheon of the paranormal. Some people just say it's an Islamic version of a demon. There's other texts that say, no, it's something completely different than that. They seem to have different abilities than a standard Christian demon. They've they've been like, oh, we're not going to be evil anymore. That's something you don't see happen in Christian demonology. But in the Islamic faith, you can have jinn being like, oh, we're tired of being evil. We're actually going to serve Allah. Okay. <laughs> it's just, so we don't know where they fit into the pantheon as far as paranormal activity goes. But we have this idea of this creature underneath his bed. Now, what's interesting is Samir, you know, obviously this happened when he was 10 or 12. We don't know how old he is now. I'll assume, you know, at least a young adult, 18, maybe older. He goes, I know that looking into the darkness for a long period of time can cause you to hallucinate. That, that's that's true. That's the idea behind the Bloody Mary story where you stare in a mirror with your candle. Well, that's how the old people did it flashlights today right you're using your cell phone light low light situation staring at something for a long time your brain will start to make up details scrying with a, a mirror is kind of the same thing low light staring all that good stuff that's definitely possible and in this case it may be the plausible answer but on the other hand we do have a case and i'm not saying trust me i'm not saying that anyone who spanks their kids is abusing their kids or even if a kid... I, listen, I got spanked a lot as a kid. I got the belt uh, as a kid. I got hit with a whole manner of things. My dad used the game board piece once to spank me. <laughs> like, what? Was it one of the ladders from Shoots and Ladders? Like, how was that, how's that even possible? Um, I got I got spanked. I, would, I was never abused. I was never, like, beat up. My dad never 
did it out of anger or rage or anything. Well, okay, the, the game board piece. <laughs> I was pushing them that day. But my point is, is that, listen, uh, my dad loves me. My parents love me. They spanked me when they felt it was needed. And it was needed because I was a jerk. That's not the case with everyone. When he's being chased by the dad with a belt, I don't know if he's just going to get a firm whooping or if this was all the way to, you know, abuse that would land somebody in jail. We don't know. When we hear terms like, oh, my dad took a belt to me, I remember <laughs> my fond memories. I'm like, oh, yes. Hope this doesn't become a debilitating fetish someday. My dad's all, what? You have that, right? <laughs> Actually, that made it ten times more creepy. <laughs> that just joke. <laughs> made that in. Okay, so anyways, what I'm saying? People are like, whoa, whoa. Wait, that came out of nowhere. <laughs> My point is, there's different layers of physical, corporal punishment, I think is the term. And if it, it, there's a whole bunch of stuff that could be in, sure, it could be that he's hallucinating this stuff. You're still thinking about that gross joke. You, you, he could be hallucinating this stuff. But it could also be that there's so much fear built up in this household. We only have a sliver of what's going on here. And obviously he was scared enough to be running through the house and hiding from his belt. Is it possible that something manifested in this house? Something was almost like an instant tulpa. I mean, it could have been there for a while. Not a lot of kids are checking underneath their bed. But maybe it was Bruce's fear or the dad's anger. Or it could have been a, a, a decade of emotional issues that was just swirling up in this hidden portion of the house and manifesting this for lack of a better term demonic entity like i mean that's definitely what it what it sounds like but it's trapped under the bed it's trying to free itself it wasn't enjoying its time under there it wasn't like i'm gonna get you bruce i'm gonna get you it was like trying to get out it could be that we we that the the paranormal lore would back up something like that negative energy manifesting in a particular location negative energy turning or opening a gateway for something dark to come out could be that it could be the hallucination thing and here's the thing in this case i think both are equally terrifying because one there's a portal there's a portal underneath the kid's bed and a dark entity is struggling to free itself from there that's creepy in and of itself but I was thinking about this. I go, even if it is a hallucination, even if it is that he was sitting underneath that bed for so long, he began to see this demonic figure gnashing its teeth in the darkness, trying to get out and do violent things to the world. Why does it seem... This is weird. I was thinking about this. Why does it seem that hallucinations always veer towards the negative? It may be anecdotal evidence because we read about them in true crime where people are saying these voices are telling me to kill people. It could be right. We only hear the extreme examples. But why is it that? Why does it seem? We've done a couple episodes on hallucinations. I'll put a couple of them in the show notes. There are accounts. People do have positive hallucinations, but they're far rarer than the negative ones. And why is that? Is that something with our brain? That our brain... And I'm not... So let, let's step back. I'm not just talking about medical hallucinations, right? Obviously, if you have a bunch of voices screaming in your head, you're going to be like, ah, it's going to be like chaos. This kid 
is just laying underneath his bed. Sure, he's afraid he's going to get beat, but he's just staring in the darkness for 10 to 20 minutes and he sees something evil. And you go, well, Jason, he was in a heightened state of fear, so he's going to see something evil. We've done studies on this. I haven't personally because I'm too scared, but people have done studies on this. If you, tonight, went into the bathroom, turned the lights off, had a soft light on your face, and stared in the mirror for 5-10 minutes, you will see something grotesque. Sometimes people see a beautiful animal. Sometimes they see something nice. But most of the time, it defaults towards the horrendous. And why is that? Why is that? That is such an interesting thing. And I think it could be... That at the obviously, if you're in the darkness with a soft light, your imagination is running wild, and you might be imagining spooky stuff. But again, like the Bloody Mary, these stories of people scrying in the mirrors. This was before Nightmare on Elm Street came out. This was before we were filled with all of this horror culture. About I guess we have always had an instinctual fear of the dark, but I feel like now I'm, I feel like now I'm going off on a on another tangent. What I'm saying is that why is it? Why does it seem that most hallucinations veer towards the negative and the obscene and the horrific? And I'm wondering, is it a fault with the human brain? Is the human brain actually this chaos engine contained in all of this gray matter? Like you have this soul and the chemical makeup of your body constantly vying for control. You have a metaphysical pilot, but he's sitting in a room of junk. He's trying to control this mech and there's like McDonald's cartons and Captain Crunch boxes falling on top of him. Because while you may have this soul that was created at the same time the stars were born, at the same time the universe was created, you're feeding it stuff that was created on Earth in 2023. It's most of it's garbage, right? And all the chemical makeup that's pumping through your brain and through the rest of your body. And you have this eternal soul in there. And I'm wondering if that is, it's just pure chaos. Like we don't, we're able to balance it out the same way our eyes see everything upside down, but our brain registers it as right side up. We're able to balance it out. Most of the time we don't notice it. But when we do notice it, when we are staring into the darkness for too long, the illusion of order in our brain breaks down and we see horrendous things because at the end of the day, our brains are in a chaotic state. That's theory one. And I know that that theory had a bunch of sub-theories in it, but that's theory one. And that might actually be the most pleasing one. That one might actually be the the best option because the other option, and we'll wrap it up like this. I don't want to go too long, but the other theory is that reality itself is just completely boned. And that the true, if you looked past the veil of reality, you would see the darkness. It's not a chaotic thought process in human. It's just that the universe is not bound by rules and laws like we think they are. These are constructs that we've made. Basically, we've tulpid a universe. Humanity has, has manifested a visual guide. We look out and we go, the planets move like this and the galaxy moves like this. And the universe is expanding and everyone goes, oh, yeah, uh-huh, yeah. And we've basically tulped all of that into existence as society over the course of tens of thousands of years. 
Reality is consensus. But when you're staring into the darkness, you remove that consensus. And you're seeing true evil. Is that the reason why people, when they hallucinate, hallucinate evil things? Because they've been removed from society. Whether through some sort of mental illness or some sort of chemical, they're doing drugs. They've removed themselves from the societal consensus and they're seeing reality for what it truly is. Dark and evil, chaotic, uncaring, vicious. They look up at the night sky and they see wonders and horrors that no man can ever comprehend but them. We look up, the rest of the civilization looks up at the night sky and we see order. We live in the northern hemisphere. We're only going to see these constellations. If you lived in the southern hemisphere, you're only going to see these constellations. The moon waxes and then wanes and we have this thing. But if you have been removed from that societal consensus... What do you see? What do you hallucinate? What is up there? And that's what we would call it. We would call it a hallucination. They're seeing something that's not real. The mind-boggling event would be if you took someone else who was also in the throes of this madness but on the other side of the world, if they looked up at the night sky and they saw the same imagery that the crazy guy in America was seeing, the crazy guy in China, they see the same types of madness in the skies or is is there even a sky to them the madness has cracked their brains so much and it does seem to be that madness is the term we use because it's a negative thing to hallucinate like that they've been removed from the society they've been removed to the consensus and are they seeing the world for what it really is see that <laughs> that version is way creepier than just the chaos of the brain, but it does pose an interesting question and I don't really have an answer for it. Why is it when we stare in the darkness, it's often evil staring back at us? Even if it is, and I'll say that this is the plausible scenario. He was hallucinating this. He says that's probably what it was. We know that that is possible scientifically, but why does it default to the evil? Not just in his case, but in so many other cases and millions of cases around the world. Is it just a fluke? Do we not hear of the good examples because they're boring? Or when you stare into the darkness for long enough, is it possible that for once in your life, you're finally seeing the world for what it truly is? Unending madness inhabited by grotesque creatures that every day inch closer to cracking into our reality. And soon everyone will know the truth that lies in the darkness. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one.